When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello again, everybody, and welcome into Gamecock Central Radio. I'm Emerson Phillips, and I'm joined by Scott Davis. Glad to have you along today. Gamecock's coming off this loss to Texas A&M. And, Scott, uh, you know, all of our writers here with Gamecock Central cover the Gamecocks objectively. Their job is to report the news and report information on Gamecock football. But your role is a little bit different, Scott. You're going to talk about the highs and lows, the ebbs and flows of life as a Gamecock fan. And I appreciate your perspective, and we thank you for your time today. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I, I want to state to America right now that I'm absolutely not a journalist or a member of the media. So uh, please take my opinions as strictly those of one fan who loves South Carolina football and South Carolina athletics and the University of South Carolina in general. So, um, you know, when I'm coming at this, my goal when I started writing this column, and I, I started writing for Gamecock Central, I think going all the way back to 2004, and I've been writing for them uh, at some point since. And um, the goal was always simply to describe what it feels like to be as a Gamecock fan when you're watching the game, whether you're in the stands or watching from home. And that's always what I've tried to bring uh, to my perspective on these games. Yeah, Scott writes a weekly opinion piece here for Gamecock Central, and the title of this week's is Passion Falls Short, Scott. And <laughs> I think Gamecock fans feel like the effort was good, the passion, the enthusiasm, the excitement for representing the name on the front of the jersey was there for the Gamecocks on Saturday, and certainly South Carolina had a chance to win the game, but came up a little bit short. So we're going to get into all that. And I wanted to get you to talk about your experience watching the game on Saturday. I know that uh, you typically – watch with your wife you watch you live in Atlanta and you watch on TV with your wife but your wife went shopping this weekend five, five losses Scott and she is now uh, going shopping on Saturdays it appears the bandwagon is emptying Emerson um, but she she did choose to uh, visit the perimeter mall here in Atlanta as opposed to uh, teeing up Gamecocks Aggies with me on Saturday and you know hard to blame her she she gets into these games obviously just as much as I do believe it or not and um, we, we have fun watching them together. We both went to South Carolina. We both grew up in the Greenville area. Oddly enough, did not know each other when we were going to school there, but she loves South Carolina and, um, sometimes just can't deal with, uh, the pressure of watching them. And as I understand very well, because I actually wrote about that in a column earlier this year regarding the Kentucky game where I bailed at halftime and went upstairs and started watching eighties movies movies intermittently flipping back to the game of course every time I heard her scream or do something downstairs just to see what was going on but sometimes it's just too hard to watch and so she did decide to head out to the mall and shop uh 
as I say in the column, for me, that was a good sign. We've had good luck as a team when she's done that in the past. We beat Florida last year when she went to the grocery store instead of watching the game. In fact, um, she skipped the 2009 Clemson game in favor of Target. And, of course, the Gamecocks stunned the Tigers that day in Williams-Brice and kicked off the five-year stretch of, of owning Clemson. So... I'm always fairly pleased to see her heading out to uh, do some shopping on Saturdays in the fall, and I may need her to do that the rest of the season, in fact. Yeah, so it's worked out well in years past when your wife has gone shopping or had other things to do. You mentioned she went to your niece's soccer game for one of those games, so you were warm inside. You had that warm, fuzzy feeling when she pulled out of the driveway Saturday because for whatever reason, the Gamecocks have had success when she has chosen not to watch. So there was some hope on your part that maybe things would turn out positive again for the Gamecocks on Saturday. I'm the most superstitious sports fan in the, on the planet, and uh, it's really kind of a debilitating condition, to be honest with you. Yesterday I was watching uh, the Falcons game. I'm a, a lifelong Falcons fan, and, and they were struggling, and so I actually moved the remote control at one point, and things started to get better, and I was terrified to touch the remote after that. And, of course, it didn't matter as they ended up losing in overtime. So, yeah, when I see things like that happen, I'll take any sign that I can get from the universe that something good's about to happen. Right. So we're talking with Scott Davis here about this Gamecocks loss to Texas A&M on Saturday. And, Scott, you know, the Gamecocks were about a 15-point underdog going in. And you mentioned in your column on Gamecocks Central this week that uh, you, you didn't think the Gamecocks were going to win this ball game. In fact, you said you'd be stunned if the Gamecocks won. But here we were in a tie ball game at halftime. And at halftime, I think Gamecock fans were feeling pretty good, not only about the effort the team had given, the execution was there in the first half, and the Gamecocks were in position to have an opportunity to win this thing going into the second half. There's no doubt about it. I really did not expect them to really keep this thing all that close, and I'll tell you why. Texas A&M is just a bad matchup for South Carolina's defense in many ways. They've got really speedy receivers who, let's face it, South Carolina just hasn't locked down anyone this year in the secondary. And uh, they also were inserting a running quarterback. That's been an issue for South Carolina, even when they were playing very well on defense. And even going beyond that, the game was on the road in College Station, very intimidating environment. The Aggies had lost their last two games coming into the game, so you weren't going to catch them napping or anything like that. And uh, all in all, it just presented itself to me as a, a really bad matchup for the Gamecocks. And so I anticipated uh, Texas A&M pretty much having its way with with the Gamecocks throughout the day, and it, it just didn't happen. And uh, that's a credit to the coaching staff of South Carolina. Obviously, the bye week helped them put together what was a really innovative offensive game plan. They came out there with guns blazing. They were just trying anything to get things going. I mentioned in the column, they had Perry Orth running around out there as though he were Michael Vick or something. And I don't, I don't think anyone has ever compared Perry Orth to Michael Vick. Uh, so I, that, those are things that I, I was pleased to see. They, they tried new things. They uh, really gave it a shot out there. Unfortunately, it just didn't work. And, and that's what happens, unfortunately, when 
you're just simply not as talented as another team. You can hang for a couple of quarters, maybe throw a haymaker or two, but eventually you're just going to get ground into submission, and that's what happened. Scott, you pointed out something in your article that I was not aware of, and that is that uh, Kyler Murray, the A&M true freshman quarterback who got his first start for the Aggies on Saturday, became just the second quarterback in SEC history to run and throw for at least 100 yards in his first career start. And the other one, as you pointed out, is Cam Newton, who, of course, won the Heisman Trophy at Auburn. So I think uh, Gamecock fans are going to be seeing more of Kyler Murray now that A&M is a permanent opponent on the Gamecock schedule. I mean, South Carolina is going to see this guy at least two more times, maybe three. Yeah, it's pretty scary. He uh, He's not a big guy. I think he's generously listed at six feet, but he's probably about 5'11". Um, not not a thick guy, but he's speedy, he's fast, he makes good decisions. The guy was undefeated as a high school quarterback in Texas, so that's not a bad little resume to carry with you into your college career. And um, I think he's going to be a, a very good player over the years. I'm not looking forward to facing him, as you said, at least two more times over the next couple of seasons. But the one thing that I have to say is we just don't know how good he is because this Gamecock defense has had a way of making average to not very good quarterbacks look like Joe Montana this season. And uh, so I, I think Kyler Murray's going to be a very good player, but we're just going to have to see because we, at this point we don't know. South Carolina made Grayson Lambert look like the second coming of Tom Brady earlier this season. He's now been benched in favor of a guy who started the season as the third-string quarterback for Georgia and who looked horrific against Florida on Saturday. So uh, it's hard to say whether or not Kyler Murray is going to be great or not, but my guess is that he will. Murray is not the first quarterback that the Gamecocks have looked like a Heisman Trophy candidate, that's for sure. Uh, you go back to last year's A&M game and Kenny Hill set school records for A&M in that season opening win over South Carolina and then lost his job just a few weeks later. And the same thing has happened now with Grayson Lambert at Georgia, who had a record-setting day against the Gamecocks this year when the Dogs took care of South Carolina in Athens. And you mentioned uh, Drew Locke, the backup at Missouri, started and beat the Gamecocks earlier this year. And you know, it's just kind of been a recurring theme here the last couple of years. Gamecock defense has managed to make a lot of quarterbacks look very good, and those quarterbacks have gone on to struggle the remainder of the season. So that, that brings us to the Gamecock defense. Scott, I was interested to read your commentary about Andre Ware's comments during the game. Andre Ware was an SEC Network analyst, former Heisman Trophy winner himself at Houston, spent a number of years in the National Football League, and he was very critical of the Gamecock defensive scheme during the TV broadcast on Saturday. No doubt about it. Um, they <laughs> Andre Ware is a guy that has received some criticism from fans throughout the years as Fans typically seem to believe that whoever is announcing their game hates their team. I'm not one of those guys. I typically enjoy most of the work of, of these analysts, and he's a guy that I've always thought brings a measured and informed approach to his broadcasts, and he absolutely blistered the Gamecock defensive staff and their game planning and decision-making throughout the game. It, it, be, it became almost a, a running joke at, at one point. He, he just simply was disgusted by what he was seeing in terms of the way they were uh, aligning the schemes they were using, the way players lined up. Uh, at one point, as I noted in the column, 
his partner mentioned that the Gamecocks desperately needed a turnover, and he <laughs> kind of chuckled and said, well, that's not going to happen the way they're lined up. It's, they're just not being put into a position to, to have a chance out here. So uh, I, fans throughout this season, I've noticed, have consistently, these are typically people who played a little football or maybe coached a little bit and, and think that they understand the plight of coaches and think that fans don't have any idea what they're talking about. And to some extent, that's true. You know, fans a lot of times don't have any idea what they're talking about. But there's been kind of a running theme of trying to suggest that what the Gamecocks are doing on defense actually does make makes sense you know putting uh cornerbacks a hundred thousand yards away from the line of scrimmage really is schematically sound or you know the way they were lining up on saturday which was to have four defensive linemen and then one linebacker when we pretty much always knew the aggies were getting ready to run the ball there just wasn't much of an opportunity there for the gamecocks to make plays and so I've argued that no, casual fans don't necessarily know everything about X's and O's and, that, and they can make themselves look silly at times, but sometimes the results just simply are what they are. And this Gamecock defense has consistently uh, struggled to stop the run and the pass this year. They did so last year. And at a certain point, you got to look at it and say, well, are they really that untalented? Are there no playmakers on that side of the ball? That might be a possibility, but there's also the possibility that they're just doing something wrong in terms of the way they approach these game plans. And that's the way Andre Ware looked at it. And so I thought that that was vindicating for people like me who've questioned some of those moves to have a Heisman Trophy winner and an NFL veteran to step in and, and just really say, this is the wrong approach. Yeah, Ware called it like he saw it, no question. And uh, the numbers speak for themselves. Texas A&M with a season-high 544 yards of offense. The Aggies ran for 321 yards. And this is with a true freshman quarterback, Kyler Murray, who ran 20 times for 156 yards and a touchdown. And Murray pretty impressive in the passing game as well, 20 of 28 for 223 yards and one touchdown and no turnovers, perhaps uh, most importantly of all for Texas A&M. A&M running back Trey Carson ran 21 times for 122 yards, and Donovan Wilson had the two interceptions for the A&M defense. The first one, he returned 60 yards for a touchdown that broke open a one-score game. It was a one-score game at the time. Uh, Wilson took that interception 60 yards for a touchdown. So this is Gamecock Central Radio. Emerson Phillips with Scott Davis. You can get breaking news alerts delivered to your inbox. Just text USC to 42828 or simply go to the GamecockCentral.com homepage. Again, Text USC to 42828 and get breaking Gamecock news alerts delivered to your inbox. So lots of negatives that we could dwell on here, Scott, if we chose to do so. And a lot of those center around the Gamecock defense, obviously. But I think Andre Ware pretty well covered that during the broadcast on Saturday. So let's talk about some of the positives here, Scott. And one of the things you touched on in your column this week is uh, variety and play calling, a little bit of creativity on offense. And that's something that, uh, you know, maybe we hadn't seen so much early in the season when the head ball coach was still uh, running the show and Sean Elliott has tried to open up the playbook yeah I mean I think there were some criticisms of Steve Spurrier's play calling of all things believe it or not the last year and a half there was sort of a feeling that the Gamecocks had recruited mobile running type quarterbacks 
and yet for some reason we're still trying to implement a classic drop back uh, passing offense that Steve Spurrier wants to run if he has you know things his way that's what he wants to do and uh, you were casting folks like Lorenzo Nunez or and others into uh, a role that maybe they weren't well suited to to uh, produce inside of, and so what we saw on Saturday was a scheme that was a little bit more adapted to the personnel that we have. I think the Gamecock coaches know that with the receivers we have on this team right now and with a former walk-on quarterback in Perry Orth, they're, they're just not going to be able to throw this football all over the yard and, and hang up uh, 45-yard bombs on people like we used to enjoy seeing under Steve Spurrier. And so they gave the offense a chance to succeed. Uh, Orth rolled out a lot, completed a lot of short passes that almost effectively worked as runs, if you will. They, they gained five, six yards, helped keep the chains moving. They incorporated a heavy dose of Brandon Wilds and a little sprinkling of David Williams as well in the running game, and, and that was good to see. Wilds looked excellent out there. He It's good to see him healthy. Wish we could have seen him healthy all year and, and throughout his career, but if he's going to be able to play and, and stay on the field, he's a guy that can help this team. So uh, I thought that their their game plan gave them an opportunity to win, and that's all you can really ask for on the road in a, a rabid environment. They kept the crowd out of it for the most part. Um, I thought that the Gamecocks, they, they would take a punch and then seem to answer on offense. So those things were really encouraging to see, especially after that Vanderbilt game where they really just couldn't seem to get a whole lot going on offense and, and didn't appear terribly interested in trying to do so. So um, I think it was an encouraging sign going forward. Now, of course, teams now are going to have tape on some of the things that they did on Saturday, and some of those things may not work going forward. We'll just have to see. But I think they at least have a plan for what they want to do. They know what this offense is and what its identity can be, and so they're going to work to those strengths, and that's a positive. Another positive, Scott, running back Brandon Wilds, who did not play a couple of weeks ago in that loss to LSU. There had been speculation that week that he would be ready to play, and the head ball coach said after the game that uh, the doctors had cleared Brandon Wilds to play against LSU, but he simply told the medical staff that he didn't didn't feel up to it, and he did not play in that game against LSU, but he looked good Saturday. He did. His career has been kind of a head-scratcher. There's just no other way to say it. He's obviously a talented guy. He's a big back. He's got size, and he also has speed. If he can get it into the clear, he can he can really pick up huge chunks of yardage. Uh, as I wrote in the column, he, his style of running seems almost effortless. You don't feel it doesn't feel grueling to watch him grind through a, a defensive line. He seems to just breeze through. Um, and so I, I would, I hope to, he can stay healthy. He's just had so many different ailments since he's been at South Carolina that, you know, you, you never want to question someone's integrity or whether or not they're really injured. I, I don't believe in doing that at all. I trust that he 
has indeed been injured. But he's just one of those guys, and you'll see this happen often in college football and pro football. There are just some players that seem to struggle to get on the field because of health issues, and he's been one of them. But he can certainly help this team going forward. If he can stay healthy the rest of the year, I think the Gamecocks have a chance to set up a potent ground game. And if they can do that, they at least have an opportunity to move the football have a pulse and show signs of life on offense. And if they're able to do it, that should keep them in most games because then they can control the ball and control the clock, which actually was how they won a lot of games during the Steve Spurrier's tenure when they won 33 games in three years. So they need a potent running game, and he's the solution to that, and hopefully he can stay on the field. Yeah, life's hard for SEC running backs. You're going to get – you're going to get nicked up. You're going to get banged up. Wilds has been good for the Gamecocks. He's a fifth-year senior out of Blythewood. Scott, you mentioned in your column this week on Gamecock Central that he subbed in for the injured Marcus Lattimore at the end of the 2011 season and had back-to-back 100-yard efforts and wins over Tennessee and Florida that year. Did it as a true freshman. So he's been through the highs and lows with Gamecock football, and I think he's been a very solid player, all things considered. And I think the Gamecock offense clearly is better with him in there. I mean, the running game has had a lot more punch with Brandon Wilds in the ball game. No doubt about it. He's, he, you know, he also chipped in a hundred yards against the Citadel in that 2011 campaign. And so he, he really is somebody that they need to stay on the field and, and stay healthy. He, he can help them. He's a talented guy. I think he might have a chance to go to the next level because he has speed and he has size. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be a, high round pick because of his history of injuries and because just frankly his stats just aren't really there they're not eye-popping but when he does play he produces as I said so let's let's hope he stays out there Emerson Phillips with Scott Davis here on Gamecock Central Radio we'd like to invite you to get 55 days of free premium access to GamecockCentral.com simply check out the website for more information 55 days of free premium access available only for a limited time from GamecockCentral.com. So, Scott, uh, you know, bottom line is uh, Gamecocks acquitted themselves pretty well in their first ever trip to College Station, did some good things, had an opportunity to win uh, with the game being tied at halftime, but simply did not get it done. And South Carolina produced uh, 445 yards of offense. It was almost seven yards of play. But when the game was on the line in the fourth quarter, South Carolina had three possessions, two punts, and an interception, and that sealed the Gamecocks' fate. So no moral victories. Yeah, I don't think you can get into the moral victory game. I mean, if you start going down that slope, just about every team currently fielding a football team in the United States of America could make a case that they've had a moral victory this year. Central Florida might could have claimed that they had a moral victory against South Carolina and Columbia earlier this season, and they're 0-8, so... I don't think moral victories make a lot of sense. I was pleased with the effort. I like the passion, like the enthusiasm, but at the end of the day, it's a loss. There's no other way to say it. And the fact of the matter is, if you look at the game, you can see what the mistakes were. You know why you lost. You can't throw a pick six when you're trying to drive and, and get back into a football game, obviously. You you can't give up long drives at the end of the game. The Gamecocks punted with uh, almost seven minutes left in the game. It was six minutes and something, and didn't get the ball back until about a minute and something remaining left in the football game, and that's because your defense went out there and gave up first down after first down to let the Aggies hang on to the football. So I don't think you can really make a case that 
you know, this was a moral victory or anything of the kind. The, the Gamecocks did make some critical mistakes out there. But at the same time, you do look at the positives. They played better than really they have at most any point this season, quite frankly. Even their wins this season haven't been terribly impressive. So there were good things out there, things hopefully you can build on. Scott, the head coaching situation continues to loom in the background, I would say. Uh, Sean Elliott, the interim head coach, no question about his intensity and that he is emotionally invested in Gamecock football, and you state very flatly that it's safe to say he wants the head coaching job permanently. Yes, I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's made it clear he wants to be here, talks about his connection growing up in Camden, South Carolina as a Gamecock fan. And his passion and enthusiasm has been kind of fun, to be honest with you, to watch. Um, he's, we talked about this last week, Emerson, but he, he's injected you know, a feeling of excitement and enthusiasm around the program that we just haven't seen in a while, and that's been refreshing. Does it mean that he's going to be able to get the job? I, I think he's going to have to, as, as we said last week, he's got to go out there and probably, now that he's lost to Texas A&M, probably going to need to win out maybe win three of the remaining four and one of them's got to be against Clemson to make a a case for sticking around. I think that Gamecock fans certainly want complete sweeping change on defense. I I think I, I just, it's hard to imagine anything staying status quo on that side of the football and and they also want to see sweeping change in the way that the Gamecocks recruit and that they organize their recruiting operation in general. And so the question for Sean Elliott is, does he have a plan for doing that? He's been on this staff for a long time now. Why was he not able to make an impact in the recruiting game the last six years or so that he's been there? He's recruited pretty well. I don't know that anyone would say he's an elite recruiter, and that's what I think most fans think South Carolina needs right now. We can't just go out there and continue to get good, solid guys. We've got to find difference makers, playmakers, and elite athletes around the country, not just in South Carolina and Georgia. So that's a question for Sean Elliott, but there's no doubt about his passion or enthusiasm, and I'm enjoying watching him go through this process as a first-time head coach. Scott, if my count is correct, there are currently 10 head coaching vacancies in major college football, and there are surely to be more to come uh, as soon as we reach the end of the regular season. And in your column this week on Gamecock Central, you talked a little bit about Mark Richt. Georgia got embarrassed by Florida in the cocktail party on Saturday. Florida beat Georgia with a backup quarterback. Both teams, in fact, were starting backup quarterbacks, but Florida had its way with Georgia. And one of the most talked about potential head coaching candidates for South Carolina is Alabama defensive coordinator Kirby Smart, who is a Georgia grad. And uh, in your column this week, you talk about the fact that some Gamecock fans are not real big on Smart uh, because of the fact that they think that if he were to get the South Carolina job and then Georgia were to come open at some point in the near future, Smart might leave South Carolina to go take the Georgia job. So I'm wondering how you feel about Mark Richt after this uh, Florida victory over Georgia on Saturday and how, uh, if at all, this may impact the Gamecock coaching search. I got to tell you, Emerson, I was stunned by Georgia's performance on Saturday. I, I didn't necessarily think they would win the game, but I, I did think they had a good opportunity to do so. I, I've consistently overestimated this Georgia team throughout the year, perhaps because I watched them lay a 52-point uh, 
beatdown on South Carolina earlier this year in Athens. So maybe I just keep thinking they're better than they actually are. But they they looked absolutely inept on Saturday. I, I, I haven't seen them look quite that bad other than when they play Alabama, who they just simply don't match up well with it all but other than that Georgia's always a competitive football team even if they lose and so offensively I'm not sure I've seen them struggle like that in years and so Mark Rick is always on the hot seat at Georgia that's just one of those things with that job you're just gonna you'll you're gonna start your your job there your tenure on the hot seat that's the way it is in Athens unless you're winning SEC championships every year their fans demand it and obviously nobody can produce it so if you're not winning national championships and SEC championships you're on the hot seat whether you win 10 games 11 games 9 games or however many games you win but you know that being said I, I, I thought Mark Rick was safe you know, I, I still think he probably is unless the bottom just falls out of this thing and they lose to Kentucky, who's their next appoint, uh, opponent, or somebody else this season. Certainly they can't go out and lose to a horrific Georgia Tech team at the end of the year. That can't happen. But I, I think Mark Rick will be there. But long term, is he going to be able to stay viable if they continue to underperform? This is a team that always recruits in the top ten every year, most of the time in the top five. They're right at the top of most SEC recruiting rankings every year. They get the pick of every athlete they want uh, in the state of Georgia, and there's a ton of them here. The Atlanta metro area dwarfs the entire population of the entire state of South Carolina. So they have a lot of built-in advantages of that job. They also have passionate fan base, all the resources you need, all the money you need. That, that's a place where you, you need to win, and Rick has done that. And done it consistently, but the question at some point is going to be, can he, is he doing it enough to satisfy their fans? And right now he's not. So does that affect what happens with the Gamecocks and Kirby Smart? I don't think it should unless Mark Rick get, does get fired this year, and I do think he'll hang on to his job. Does it mean that he may leave that position within a couple of years? It's possible. But if I, if I think Kirby Smart is my best you know, candidate for this job, I still hire him. I'm not worrying about Mark Rick right now. That doesn't need to be in Ray Tanner's mindset. Just hire the guy you think's the best guy for the job. Let the roll the dice and let it go from there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, you know, I'm hard pressed to think that Georgia is going to get rid of Mark Rick, but that continues to be a, a lingering question: what the future may hold for him, how much time he may have left at Georgia, and if Georgia were to make a change. You would have to think that they would have interest in Kirby Smart as well, and it's possible that we could have two SEC East schools, two rivals in the East, going after the same head coach in Kirby Smart. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Scott, we've got Tennessee on deck. Gamecocks headed to Knoxville this Saturday. Tennessee has been a thorn in the Gamecocks side the last couple of years. Will you be watching the game with your wife on Saturday? <laughs> I don't know. I may I may need to send her out to Target for that one. But uh, this this one scares me. You know, Tennessee has won the last two consecutive games. There's absolutely no reason in the world they should have won either one of those games. The game in Knoxville was basically lost by Gamecocks simply could not find a way to punt the football in that game. 
there were several 15 or 20 yard punts. They, they had horrendous field position the entire game, outplayed the Vols in Knoxville, somehow ended up losing on a field goal as time expired in one of the most head scratching games I can remember watching South Carolina play in years. And then last year, total debacle at the end of the fourth quarter. That was not one, not two, but the third time the Gamecocks lost double digit leads at the end of the game in the fourth quarter, which was one of the reasons why 2014, even though the Gamecocks finished with a winning record last year, was one of the most excruciating years I've ever spent as a fan of any team in any sport. So the the Vols line up Josh Dobbs, the quarterback. He, he's a guy that I think will have a fairly good day against South Carolina. He did last year. I think he'll do it again. The question is whether or not the Gamecocks can either get some turnovers along the way. They haven't been doing that lately. And whether or not they can uh, mount an attack on offense, I think they might be able to run the football a little bit. But Tennessee's got some talented players. They've underperformed a little bit this year. I think a lot of people thought they would challenge for the SEC East. I don't think that's going to happen. But they're still a potent team. They scare me. It's in Knoxville. So I think it'll be a tough one for the Gamecocks on the road. But if they can come out with the effort and the enthusiasm that we saw this past Saturday, I think certainly they have an opportunity to go up there and get a big win. Scott, thanks as always for your time and your perspective. We appreciate you. Appreciate you, Emerson. Look forward to talking to you again. All right, Scott Davis joins me weekly here on Gamecock Central Radio. Scott writes an opinion piece. He's a columnist for Gamecock Central, and he tries to give us a little bit different perspective, somewhat of a fan's perspective on Gamecock football. Scott Davis here on Gamecock Central Radio with me, Emerson Phillips. We'll have another edition for you next week here on Gamecock Central Radio. Thanks for joining us. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.